You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Hey, what are you thinking about? You're always thinking. You ever ask somebody, what are you thinking about? And they say, nothing. And then they're thinking about thinking about nothing. Come on. How many of you are, are like me? We have a, a bond. Our minds are always going. Come on. Yeah. If you're married with somebody whose mind is always going, and you don't like that, God bless you. I am so grateful for my wife, who sometimes <laughs> says to me, uh, would you shut your mind off for a minute? And she says it so graciously. Uh, sometimes my mind goes and I'm unfiltered. Oh, Lord. I say things like, I'm thinking, come on, out loud? You ever think out loud? And you haven't thought through what your words will do or, you know, or they don't make any sense? Or, or you come out with a dream, it's so out there, people just go, you're weird, you know? I shared with a couple of people uh, some ideas I had about the church that would, would take us five or ten years to get there, and, and they were like, whoa, man, slow down. And, and, and I said, no, weren't you in church last week where I talked about being amazed? Come on, and being, you know, in, in, instead of asking people always how, what if we started saying, wow? You know, I was talking with a young kid recently, and he, he has some incredible dreams. I mean, they are incredible. And I go, wow, that's so great. You're so creative. You know what he said to me? Every time I tell my mom and dad, my dreams, they go, how are you going to do that? How? How? And I just spoke into his world for a moment and said, wow. You know what wow does to people? Come on. It fires them up, even on a rainy Monday, Sunday morning. Come on, come on. It fires them up. What consumes your thoughts? Did you know that your mind is the battlefield of the devil? Your imagination is a minefield, and your thought life is his trophy. He wants to mount your head right on a board and say, got him. Got him. He wants to taxidermy your head, put it on a wall, say, got him. Because if the devil can control your thinking, he has you. Jesus said in John 10, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. And he said it to people that were physically alive, but yet they really didn't have life in their soul. You can, you can be saved and still have trouble with your thoughts. Come on. You can know Christ and still have stinking thinking going on in your brain. Like, I'm not loved. Touched on that in communion today. Or insecurity can rise up. Or we start thinking about things that aren't ever going to happen and it turns into worry. And we worry about things that will probably never happen anyway. And that's why I love the Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 7. For as a person thinks in his soul, so is he. Now, if you want a place uh, to open your Bible to, open to Philippians 2, because that's where we're going to be in just a moment. 
But I want to tell you about uh, Dr. Gregory Barnes in his book, Iconoclast. He said that our brain is hardwired to conform. The human brain is hardwired to conform to the census of the group. That's why young people, we call it peer pressure. If the, if the, if the, if the school, the kids are thinking a certain way, we're going to think that certain way. But all we are in here, most of us, are just big kids. As goes the national thinking, we can go too. As goes the community thinking, we, we can go too. And, and here's what he said. There was a study that was done where a group of people were recruited for a project and they were each tested privately to see if they could come up with the answer. Over 86% came up with the accurate answer to the problem. But as they came out of the room where they were tested privately, they were all told privately that their answer was incorrect and that the rest of the group had come up with a different answer. They were then asked this question, would you like to retake the test? A third of them said yes. A third of them changed their answer from the correct answer to the wrong answer because they were told that the majority of the group came up with a different answer. He says, our brains are hardwired to conform. Conforming. And here's his line. We conform to the prevailing thought. So here's a good question. I started by saying, what's on your mind? Let me ask this one, what's in your mind? And then let me ask you this, what's the prevailing thought of your mind? If we are going to live true life, we have to think life thoughts. Romans 12, 2, many of you know it. If you don't uh, have it memorized or know the address, just write it down in your notes, Romans 12, 2, and look it up later. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and do not conform to this world. In, in other words, don't conform to prevailing thought. Prevailing thought. Whatever we think about in the moment. As you think, so you are. So in Philippians 2, we have this, this phrase, let this mind be in you, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind did Jesus have? What kind of thought life did Jesus have? How did he think about people? See, whatever the prevailing thought is in a government, in a city, in an organization, in a company, in a church, that prevailing thought, for the most part, will be what the people of that government, city, organization, company, church think like. Uh, we have over 50 churches in this city, and most of them do not think the same. Now, we may believe the same, Jesus Christ, but we don't, we don't think the same. Hey, that's okay. But if we are thinking personally or as a church or as a couple, if you're married, or as a kid, if you're going to school and you got parents, if you are thinking contrary to the mind of Christ, then you will be conformed to whatever that thinking is. Let me take you back to some thinking in the Garden of Eden. Did you know if you go to Ancestry.com, a little leaf will appear, and it will say, you think like Adam and Eve, because they're your ancestors. 
There were two people on the planet and one influence, God. A second influence appeared, a serpent. Two influencers, two people, and guess what they did? Adam looked at Eve. Eve looked at Adam. I'm paraphrasing. Well, what do you think the prevailing thought is, sweetheart? I think the prevailing thought is whatever the snake told me. Well, what do you think we should do, dear? I think we should eat of the tree that God said don't eat of. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And they went and grabbed the kumquat off the tree, the persimmons, whatever it was, and they ate. Prevailing thought. And the next thing we see is we are not only hardwired to think that way, we're also hardwired to do one other thing. We're hardwired to hide. You know the first game of hide-and-go-seek ever recorded? (laughs) Hey, baby, what do you want to do? Let's hide. (laughs) Who are we going to hide from? I know where you are. You know where I am. Who's going to come find us? Well, let God do it. And they hid because of their sin from the presence of the holiness of the glory of God. They hid. And they said, count to 100, God. See if you can find us. And God knew what? Exactly where they were. But to play the game, God says, Adam, where are you? Don't you think that's all? I think it's hilarious. I'm sorry. Hang on while you laugh a moment. (laughs) Oh, it's crazy. You can't find us, Lord, because we can hide from you. You're our creator, our sustainer. There's no internet, there's no texts. There's no Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, CNN, Fox. And the devil tried to change the way they thought about God. He will do that with us till the day we die. Think that God doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, how did Jesus think? Well, he thought very much downward. Downward. Bill Hybels, in his book, Descending into Greatness, says, in the vocabulary of our world, down is a word reserved for losers, cowards, and the bear market. It is a word to be avoided or ignored. It is a word that negatively colors whatever it touches. We say down and out, downfall, downscale, downhearted, and worst of all, down under. And down's anonym is up, a word in our high-voltage society that has come to be cherished and worshipped, a word reserved to describe winners and heroes, unlike the word down, up positively colors whatever it touches. We say things like upscale, up-and-coming, upper-class, upperly mobile. We believe in ascending into fame, money, power, comfort, and pleasure in our society. Up is clearly the direction of greatness. From the world's perspective, it's the only way to go. Just as a compass needle points north, the human needle points up. And Jesus' thinking was, I'm coming down. 
Philippians 2, 2 to 5, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, same love of Jesus, and being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than who? Yourselves. Who was Adam and Eve thinking of in the garden? Where do most of our problems stem from? Where does divorce come from? Where does kids who hate their parents come from? Parents who, who, who don't take care of their kids. Where does that come from? Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude, the mind of Christ and the attitude of Christ, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And don't you just want to repent now and go home? Being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. How many times have we read this, preached from this, quoted this? And for me, how many times have I read it and didn't let it change my life? I'm going to be just like Jesus. Yep, that's me. I'm going to. He humbled himself, our Savior did, even to death on the cross. I know you've been waiting feverishly to write something down, so please do. Jesus thinking, greatness is not measured by self-will, but by self-abandonment. And in Jesus' thinking, the more you give, the more you gain. And in Jesus' thinking, life is found in Jesus and right thinking. Do not conform to the world. Isn't it hard to do when the world is all around us? Greek um, word study, Vincent's Greek word study says that Paul is literally saying, let, let this thought of Jesus, the way he thought, be in you. Think this way yourself. Esteem others better than yourself. Think more about people than you think about yourself. The word implies that this must be the, the driving force, that your life is driven by a passion to think and process life the way Jesus did. We used to say, what, 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 what did Jesus do? I think we're better off saying, how did he think? Because our, our, our thinking will change what we do. We could start to do new behaviors, but if we, we don't think about the value of those behaviors, we're never going to get there from here. And I'm just going to tell you, it, it's hard it's hard work. I don't know if anybody recognizes this, but it's just hard work. I'm confessing this on your behalf and on my behalf. It's just hard work to think right all the time because you want to think bad sometimes. You want, to, want God to give you like a, a little get out of jail card or a little get out of, you know, transforming your mind card so you can just have a moment to just think in the gutter and then come back. You know, if I was a preacher, I'd talk about that, you know. Sewer thinking, you know what I mean? You want, you want to think in the sewer, come on. Lord, can I have a pass to think ill about this person right now? You never had that, you never had that feeling? Okay. I know all of you live somewhere else. I live in Santa Barbara County. I don't know where you live. I was out all day yesterday at Ready, Set, Go, seeing all kinds of people with all kinds of issues. I don't, maybe you were sleeping all day. I don't, I don't know, but every once in a while, Lord, wouldn't it be nice to just give me a pass. Let me think about this person the way I want to think about him. 
And once you start thinking about them that way, you know where it goes. Hmm, revenge, gossip. I could unlike them, unfriend them. Come on. If I could do more, Lord, I would if it was legal. Okay. You ever ask this question, how did, how did Jesus think about that person? Huh. Well, better yet, how does Jesus think about you when you mess up? Huh? All right, number one. How we think in relationships, number one, it can, can really bring life. The scholars were saying that in the Philippian church, that there was division, there was arguments. We, we know about Eodia and Syntyche, they're, they're arguing, and he actually talks about them. And uh, he says, can't you guys just get along? In Philippians 2, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same love, one in spirit and purpose. Do you know what? We're supposed to love each other with the same love Jesus loves us with. Wow. See, life in Christ should motivate us to share the same love in unity for one another. That's why he says in verse 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others, how? Better than yourselves. So who am I to think about that person the way I'd like to think about that person if God would give me a pass to allow me to think about that person in, a, in an ill way? You try to say that again. <laughs> you know how I should think about that person? I should put the filter on my brain and on my soul and say, Lord, how do you think about him? You'll probably hear heaven say, uh, they're, they're a knucklehead. <laughs> but love them with my love. They're, they're a knucklehead. But don't put them down. Look at to their interests and see how you can help them be better. Paul is, is saying, more than love your neighbor as yourself. He takes it up a notch and he says, esteem others even better than yourself. Put them above you, not below you at all. And the second thing is, is pride and selfishness will, will fight against life. It'll cause you to want to be conformed to the world, to have a prevailing thought, mindset, whatever, whatever seems to be appropriate now, that's what I will think, instead of being transformed. And isn't it interesting that Paul the Apostle who writes Philippians 2, also says in Romans 12, the way that you are transformed is the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say you'll be renewed by your prayer life or, or by your sacrifice or by your service. Though all those are important. He starts with this. If you want to be transformed, you must think differently. If you really want abundant life, you must think differently. And you can't think with pride and selfishness. I, I read a story some years ago out of Reader's Digest. I was waiting in a doctor's office. And, and you know, people say time heals everything. Well, if time heals everything, how come you're not better while you're waiting to see the doctor? This usually takes a lot of time to get in. 
So Reader's Digest was telling a story that would really fit well today with all this stuff going on on airlines, people getting pulled off of airplanes. Now other people are finding flights that are totally booked all the time, and they're going to those flights so maybe they can get some ransom money to get booted off. Don't laugh, it's the new trend. And they're video recording what's happening when people are coming, talking to them at the counter or on the plane to see if maybe there could be some lawsuit. Just the way we are. They're thinking like prevailing, whatever the prevailing thought is. And so this dear gentleman was told at the counter because he was late from his connecting flight. They were about to board the plane. The plane was late. Everybody was filled with anxiety. And um, the gal said, we need people to get off the plane. We'll give you a voucher. We'll buy you a sandwich, something, right? And uh, this guy gets up there and he says, hey, I'm, I've you know, got a reservation for this plane. She says, sir, I'm sorry. You're late getting here. We're about to board and we are booked. And he says to her in a very loud voice in the middle of everybody filled with anxiety. I, I don't know the last time you got on a plane, uh, but the last time I got on a plane, he said, we're now boarding section one and all the people from section five want to come on. I, I don't know. I just stand in the back. I was in section five. I'm just standing in the back watching all these people do this as if they're in the front, they'll get on sooner. I, I don't know what that is. Because he, the poor guy had to tell me, we're not boarding five, we're on one. Here was three and there was four and everybody's trying to press in. And this one dude comes to the counter and he says, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I need to get on this plane. Do you know who I am? And this little gal in a soft voice picks up the phone and says, uh, attention everybody at gate 52. There's a gentleman here who doesn't know who he is. <laughs> if anybody can help identify him, please come forward now. I will give you a voucher. <laughs> Philippians 2, 7 and 8. And Jesus made himself nothing, unlike the man who said, do you know who I am? Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? Would you read the rest? He humbled. Even. Let's think like Jesus, if we really want life. He, he humbled himself and became obedient to that question. I'm going to ask you this. When was the last time you died? Last time you died to something you really wanted, you, you, you died to something you wanted to think about, you died to how you wanted to respond to somebody. And even if you were justified, even if they wronged you, even if they made promises and didn't keep them, even if they were, were, were just even if you knew they were talking bad about you behind your back and you heard it from reputable sources, whatever that means, when was the last time you died? I don't feel like reading my Bible this morning. But I'm going to die to that. I don't, I don't feel like being caring towards this person or that person, but I'm going to die to that. I don't particularly care for that person I work with. 
They are a pain in the polocus, whatever polocus is. I don't know what that is. If that's a bad word, I apologize. My, my neighbor growing up used to use it, so it just stuck in my head. Maybe I need to die to the word. How about neck? Pain in the neck. And you decide that, you know what? God, I'm going to die to my feelings towards that person, and I'm going to try to represent you well and let your life flow through me to them. We need to set our minds, number three, we need to set our minds on Jesus and his life. Now, would you circle that word set? Just circle it and look at it for a second. You could pray all day, Holy Spirit, set my mind on Jesus. And I don't think much is going to happen. You can say, Holy Spirit, help me to set my mind on Jesus. I think he responds to that prayer better. Because Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 2, you set your minds. It's your job. Lord, I'm, I'm going to tune in. Kind of like a radio, a frequency. I'm going to tune in, Lord. I'm going to set cruise control. I'm going to set it. And, you know, we usually set it and forget it. We don't. We usually touch the right pedal or hit the acceleration button. But in the cruise control, I don't care what kind of car you drive. You can drive the most expensive car in the world. It's going to still ask you to set the miles per hour. You have to set it. Lord, I want to set my mind on things above, not things below. I want to set my mind on things of your word. I want to set my mind on life, not death. I want to set my life on wholesomeness, not brokenness. I want to set my life on, on things that will help others, that comfort other people. I want to set my mind on you and who you are in all things. And maybe some of you need a recalibration right now of your minds and where they have gone and where they've drifted to, where you start thinking the right way. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and 6 is we use our powerful God tools. Boy, I love this. We're smashing warped philosophies and tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. By the way, if you don't get anything out of this message, get this passage at the Message Bible. This is, this is phenomenal. I want to take my life, Lord and my emotions and my impulses and put them in a life that's shaped by Christ. Who's shaping our life? I come to give you life and life more abundant. Who's the best life shaper that we know? It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit through the power of the Word. The best life shapers we have. And you and I have both seen other lives shaped by other things or prevailing thought. And how'd that go? How did it go to watch people who have drifted away from God or never gotten to know God and they shape their life by prevailing thought? And their minds and their hearts were hardwired to something else other than God. And what happened to them? You see, he goes on to say, our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience and maturity. I'm going to read this again. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. 
Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. Let me give you one of those tools. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. And I, I did a lot of study about the helmet. The helmet of salvation, yeah. Originally it was built out of leather. And they would take bronze and they would hand hammer the bronze. And if you Google or you Bing the research of what the helmet of salvation looks like, it usually looks more like a football helmet and there's nothing in the middle. But, but scholars believe that there was actually this, that visor that came down that many have seen. And the visor was to protect what the eyes allowed into the mind. And spiritually speaking, we put on the helmet of salvation so that the gospel of Jesus protects us. The cross of Jesus protects our mind. We only think thoughts that are shaped through Christ. And I know that's a tall order to tell somebody, well, only think the way Jesus thought. But that's what the helmet of salvation is for, to protect the way we think. And it actually came back Lord, to the neck on the back. I could not find a good one or I would have shown it to you. And the reason it, it protected the neck here and the neck in front is because they would take a sword and try to decapitate someone. It kept you from losing your head. That you have the helmet of salvation around you to protect you and to keep you. And, and so I, I just I, I wondered, what would it be like if this week ahead we, we all had a moment where we said... I, I'm not going to think that way, Lord. <laughs> Helmet of salvation. I mean, I don't know how you would do it. But what if we just paused long enough to say, God, let the helmet of salvation cover my thinking. Because I want to think like Jesus, Philippians 2. I, I want to follow after you. I love what John Wesley said. He said, I cannot stop the birds from flying over my head, but I sure can keep them from making a nest in my hair. There's all kinds of prevailing thought going around. All kinds. All kinds of excuses to live certain ways. All kinds of things to, 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 to fudge on stuff or to cut corners or, or to let your mind wander and drift from where it's supposed to be. But what if we said, Lord, I know those thoughts are out there, but I'm not going to let them land. I'm going to work really hard at and then as I work hard at setting my mind on things above, then, Lord, I could live a faithful life. What's faithfulness all about? What is faithful life all about? It's about, in your notes, it's about obeying the last thing the Lord prompted you to do. So in church, what's the last thing that God is using me to prompt you to do? It's to think like Jesus. Well, I'm just going to leave here and go think the way I want to think. You have that option. This is America. Land of the free, home of the whatever goes, goes. Thinking, come on. But what if we took every thought captive and said, Lord, I want to think your way. The first week we talked about life in Christ, where, where Paul told us, I'm crucified with Christ. I don't live any longer, but Christ lives in me. Last week we talked about wonder. Ah, oh, and wow. And this week, I just wanted you to hear a little bit about how we think, 
and what we think like. Jesus said in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He was saying, I will not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Because even all the way to the cross, you know what he's saying? Whatever has to be done, I will do. So somebody asked me once, what does it look like to surrender to God? And it kind of looks like this. There's a line. That's where you sign it. That's your contract. And you just write your name in there. And you hand it to God. And you say, you fill it in. Who no. Not until I read it. <laughs> Not until I find out what God wants me to do while I sign. I think it's the other way around. Lord, I, I, I sign the contract. Your will be done. And then, Lord, would you be kind enough to disclose what that is? Because I've already said yes. I'm going to do exactly what you call me to do. I'm going to think the way you want me to think. I'm going to live the way you want me to live. I'm going to love the way you've loved me. I'm going to comfort others with the comfort that, that I've been given. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.